This is a sex pot comedy production. episode of required readcast i was gonna give a number but i can't remember what number it is i believe it's seven is it i had to double check today that's why i know okay I gl- i'm glad you double checked because because you're the one who was called book four or five or five and four. i was certain at the time <laughs> that it was the one i thought it was and it wasn't so i could be wrong now but i'm pretty sure this is episode seven of required readcast but it's all right if you're wrong because we, we don't have strength in mathematics we have strength in language arts correct we are book nerds, and we're proud of it. We don't even care. You can call us that. Whatever. I'm Lauren Ballman. I'm Jessica Austin. And today we are talking about Arthur Miller's play, The Crucible. Right, which is a standard for a lot of high school English classes. Yes. Um, some s- social studies classes, too, for reasons we'll get to. Um, and is kind of a staple in like every single high school theater department. Correct. I feel like once every eight years, they probably have to do the fucking Crucible. I'm actually surprised that my high school didn't do it in the time that I was there. One of the neighboring high schools did in the time that I was in high school, but... Yeah, my school skipped it too, but I wasn't really in the theater department in school. But mm. They didn't do it, but a lot of other theaters do it, which um, when we get to the meat of it, uh, regarding the cast list, you'll see why. Correct. So The Crucible is known um, as a play about the Salem Witch Trials, written by Arthur Miller, and I'm going to tackle my tweet length summary which is a hashtag, or there's no hashtags on tweet link summaries. <laughs> uh, my tweet link summary is a Puritan witch hunt, but actually McCarthyism. <laughs> That's good. Mine is dancing naked in the forest never ends well. <laughs> it doesn't. No. Ask everybody who ever went to a concert. Don't go in the forest. Bad or idea. if you do, put on some pants. Yes. Um, according to the internet, the summary of The Crucible, based on historical people and real events, Miller's drama is a searing portrait of a community engulfed by hysteria. In the rigid theocracy of Salem, rumors that women are practicing witchcraft galvanize the town's most basic fears and suspicions. And when a young girl accuses Elizabeth Proctor of being a witch, self-righteous church leaders and townspeople insist that Elizabeth be brought to trial. Now, Lauren and I were talking about summaries of this play, and some of them focus on the affair. Yeah, I feel like, I'm actually, that was a really good one. I was getting disappointed in a lot of the ones I was finding, because I felt like they were either really long and boring and basically summarizing the entire plot, so they weren't really an actual just quick summary, or they start off with um, young girl Abigail has an affair with married farmer... (laughs) John Proctor, which leads to her accusing his wife of witchcraft, which is true, but I don't think that that's the central meat of why this course of events gets set in action. Yeah, I I mean, it's definitely an an impetus for why Abigail does what she does, 100%, but I don't, it just was striking me as odd that there were a bunch of summaries that would lead with that. Yes, I feel like a lot of people give so much focus to Abigail and John, and Elizabeth's Mm -hmm. kind of our girl in this. I would love to. I would love to play Elizabeth. You'd be a fantastic Elizabeth Proctor. I feel like you're right. I feel like she's not necessarily given the focus 
of this play when so much of it is centered around her. Yeah, well, she's kind of the crux of the matter, and she's a great character because mm-hmm. she's honest. I mean, Elizabeth Proctor oh, yeah. is honest, and it's crazy because uh, her her lie undoes her when Ugh. John in the same way. When John decides to tell the truth about the affair and Elizabeth decides to lie to save his face is when both... It's almost like Gift of the Magi. You're like, no, 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 you're no. just not communicating. Oh, that part is so devastating. Every time... Well, so the play opens in uh, Reverend Paris's attic in Salem, Massachusetts in 1692, and the action carries over into the following spring of 1693, which um, it, this whole, all of the events in this play are based on events in the Salem Witch Trials. Right. And Arthur Miller said that there's nobody in this play that's not based in history. Everyone is based in real people, and in some cases, the real names of the real people. John, There was a John Proctor, there was an Abigail Williams, there was a Giles Corey um and then some folks like the the gentlemen who are running the trial I believe Danforth and Hale are amalgamations of different court authorities of the time kind of rolled into one and he went um Arthur Miller went to Salem to research this I read how could you not like just to stand there and and know that centuries ago people stood on the exact same dirt and screamed for executions of innocent women right fucking mind-blowing and terrifying, and in the country, and less than 500 years ago. Right. Where we live. <laughs> that that, that <laughs> close in time. This isn't the medieval ages. This isn't way, way back, old-timey times, A.D., whatever. I'm going to delete that part, because I definitely got rambly. <laughs> We're like, cut. Start over. Start over. But it's within several hundred years like this isn't far removed these aren't ancient pagan civilizations these were people who pretty much speak the same type of language we speak they're close to us in the time period this is one of those plays that you're as I'm reading it as you're reading it or as you're experiencing it you almost get removed from it a little into forgetting that it is America Mm -hmm. and America's not an old country right like people who go to Italy um are amazed that so old, like everything's so old here, and you come to America and everything's fairly new. I mean, not if you're seeing native um, ruins or things like that, because that is actual old. But the European colonists, that shit's new, and it's new. And Salem had witch trials and murdered a whole bunch of ladies in the name <laughs> of the devil, because people didn't know what they were doing. Anyway, so we. <laughs> We open. But we in, digress. We digress. We open in the uh, attic of Reverend Paris's house in Salem, and he is the local reverend. Yes. And his little daughter Betty is sick in bed, and he's freaking out. Um, so they, he caught his daughter Betty, who's like ten, and his niece Abigail, whose parents died in uh, a war. She says she saw her parents' heads smashed mm-hmm. in on the pillow next to her, and there's a lot of allusions to, but they don't. It's something they touch on, but don't really talk about the whole influence of Native Americans and this community that they're in. Yeah, that well, really, I mean, if they leave this community, they're in the wilds. Right. Like, it's still very undiscovered in Massachusetts at the time. And it's Abigail, so who knows what we can or can't believe about that, but I do think that that is very real, of given where they're at, mm-hmm. is that it, conflict <laughs> with the Native American community is literally outside their 
door and outside their town. And we also, we never, we don't really know um, where uh, Betty's mother is. Right. We were probably safe to assume she's dead. Um, so her father is the reverend and all this stuff takes place in his attic. So he's worried. Betty's like not talking. She's tried to jump out the window thinking she can fly. Um, Paris caught Betty, Abby, and a whole bunch of the other girls uh, running around in the woods with dancing. T- dancing. There was like a cauldron in the grass. <laughs> Tichuba. It soup in it. It's soup in it. Um, Tichuba, who is Reverend Paris's Barbados, Barbadosian <laughs> slave from Barbados. Yes. She's an actual slave in this. Um, she was out conjuring with the girls, and poor Tichuba's in a shit ton of trouble oh. in a sec. Because, um, man, Abby starts throwing people under the bus left and right. Yes, and Abigail lives with them because she is an orphan. So all of the adults in this town are freaking out. They're all thinking witchcraft, witchcraft, witchcraft. Everybody's and coming over and saying how their child is also sick or my mm-hmm. my girl won't eat or my, you know, so they're all talking about it. The buzz is kind of going throughout the entire town. Right. And Paris is trying to keep it a little bit to himself that he, that the girls were naked and like how bad it was. Cause he, A, he saw them. B, Abby's the ringleader and lives in his house. And if it looks like he's going to, if, it's going to look negative on him if it's discovered. Mm-hmm. So he's trying to kind of tamp the situation down as all these people keep pouring into his home, into the attic of his home, which is odd. Like, because <laughs> it's not like his servants coming up are like good friends. It's like the Danforths come over and they just like drop, 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 up to the attic. Putnam's. Fucking Putnam's. Wait, maybe I meant Putnam's, not Danforths. But whatever. <laughs> Whoever, co- like, who just bursts into their neighbor's attic? And yeah. like, Do you have to climb up one of those rickety ladders? <laughs> yeah, they, they have to pull it down like a Christmas vacation and the ladder just smashes him in the head. It's, it's all of a sudden a farce with ladders. And it's hilarious. Um, yeah, so... He's trying to get a good story, a straight story out of Abigail about what really went on in the woods. And um, she keeps coming up with excuses after excuses. Of course. And then the adults leave the room. And then we find from, find out from the kids that, yeah, they were up to no good. Like, mm-hmm. they, they were conjuring with Tichuba. They were dancing naked. Like, she says to Mercy Lewis, he saw you naked. And Mercy's like, oh, no. And if it wasn't already clear, Ab- Abigail is certainly the ringleader of this Entire oh, operation. Oh, yeah. She's getting everybody to go along with her. Because she is a nasty little bitch. Oh. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. She's bullying. She's manipulative. She's a liar. Um, but, so she basically threatens everybody into silence. All the girls are like, you drank a charm to kill John Proctor's wife. You drank blood, Abby. And she's like, shut the fuck up. Don't tell anybody about that. She doesn't say shut the fuck up, but she does it's say shut up. Her intentions are. Yeah. I, my favorite <laughs> is, shut it, Mary shut Warren. Shut it, Mary Warren. Is... <laughs> The quote of the play. (laughs) So Abby makes everybody calm the fuck down. And then more adults come back into the attic and start pouring in. And then they bring in poor Tichuba. And then... Oh, uh, poor Tichuba. And Tichuba's like, I wasn't doing anything. I just was doing what the girls told me. And then she just starts getting abused by all the men in the room. Well, and I feel like with Tichuba, it's the first example where we see the setup of... The pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, say what we want you to say. Say what we want to hear. Right, and esp- and she's she is the ideal initial punching bag for that because she is a, she's a slave in this house. Mm-hmm. She doesn't have any of her own. It, it, they could very easily just grab her and haul her off and take her to jail or kill her. She has no rights, so um, she's fucked. Tichibu's right, fucked. so of course she's going to start saying what they want to hear. Yeah, and then that behavior continues throughout the play 
of somebody tells the truth. Um, an authority figure is like, that's not the truth. Did you see this X, Y, and Z? And kind of prescribe what to tell them. The person says what the interviewer wants to hear, and then they name somebody else. Mm -hmm. And they name somebody else. And I think it's so important to say that they are naming somebody else. Yes. Because this is Miller's response to McCarthyism. Yes. Um, Whereas it is a very historically accurate portrayal of the Salem witch trials, this was also written during the McCarthy era and Arthur Miller's way of saying, fuck you, I'm not naming names. Well, and I didn't realize how close the timeline was because he was in the, he was in the HUAC, um, the, not trials, but what is the word I'm trying to think of? The, um... The hearings. Yeah. The, <laughs> Thank you. He was in the hearings in uh, 1952. And this play is 1953. Right. The, it went, he like apparently immediately left when he was done at the hearings, went to Massachusetts, did some research, wrote the, wrote the Crucible, and then it premiered on Broadway in January of 1953. Yeah, he basically walked out and was like, uh, I got to answer this. No All time right. wasted. Metaphor City. <laughs> so you ain't seen nothing yet. I, I find that really fascinating, just how condensed that was. I didn't realize it was all so close. Um, and I mean, I know you've spoken a little bit more about what all went down there with Kazan and mm-hmm. um, all of that. And Miller himself being... Speaking of names being named. Yeah, he was named. And, you know, we're, we can't dive too deep into no. it because we're not fucking we are not scholars in any scholars. Contrary to what you may think. No, but this is important to look at because since it was such a huge influence on did, the play. Did you see the thing today, or maybe it was yesterday, uh, a survey saying that what percent of millennials don't know what Auschwitz is? Oh, Yeah. And you're like, how the the notion of learning about the Holocaust is starting to sort of mm-hmm. fade. And, and I, I actually feel like that that's one of the things that's so important about this script and the timely or the timelessness of it mm-hmm. is that this is a metaphor that can be applied and continued on. Like using the structure of the Salem witch trials is still mm-hmm. going to be a way to talk about <laughs> any myriad of political issues it's, that we are going to continue to face. And I mean, even though we have the layer of McCarthyism, it Mm -hmm. naturally written into it. um, I, I feel like that's definitely one of the reasons why this play continues Mm -hmm. to still endure the way that it has. Well, I think it's important that you, we, cannot let something like the Holocaust go. We cannot let something like McCarthyism be swept under the rug of history because it's going to repeat itself. Right. And look at where, I mean, look at where we're at. Right now, I mean, there's there's certain things that are happening right now in present time that you aren't necessarily comparable to McCarthyism, but you could start to see sort of mm-hmm. the inklings of. Well, it's not just that they're pulling people in front of other and accusing them; it's that they crack them open and make them betray their friends. I mean, that's the that's the gist of the terror. Well, I, I feel like that is one of the scariest things. It, it that scares me in this play the way that it did in the lottery mm-hmm. that feeling of your own town turning against you um the people your neighbors the people that you farm with the people that are right next you know mm-hmm. the fact that they can so quickly turn 
and your name could be next. And I think that is one of the reasons Elizabeth is so important is she's onto it. You you can tell from the moment her first scene in this play, she she knows that any moment now Abigail's going to call her name out. Mm-hmm. Well, let's go and talk about why because we haven't talked about the affair True. yet. So um, later in that first scene, after you know everybody's freaking out and starting to to kind of go into the realm of witchcraft, John Proctor walks in. And John mm-hmm. Proctor is our hero, uh, the protagonist of the play. A tragic hero. A tragic hero. Because, yeah, spoiler, it doesn't end well for John Proctor. <laughs> Sorry, John. Sorry, John. You hanged. Um, but he comes in all handsome and dashing and is like, Abby, knock this shit off. We had an affair. It's done. And it's she's over. Like, we kicked you out of the house. It's been seven mm-hmm. months. Let it go. So Abby, Abigail and John Proctor had an affair. She in the play is portrayed at about um, 16 or 17. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was working in the Proctor's house. Yes. And John in the play is mid-30s, 40s. Like he's a younger adult. Mm-hmm. Um, where in reality, however, Abby was 11 or 12 and Proctor was 60. Oh, cool. So cool. Also gross. Um, also, they, um, thanks, Arthur Miller, they, for not... Writing that. Yeah, thanks for adjusting the age. <laughs> Thank you for using your creative license there. But um after, Ew, that's really gross. Yeah. After Elizabeth had some kids, like she was tired and John started paying attention to Abby. They had a physical affair. And then gross. And then um he stopped it and he was she, they let her go. They fired her. Um, and since then she has not had a job. Mary Warren is now the maid in their house. So Abby's not a little pissed because she's fired. A lot pissed because the man that she loves, the man that I'm assuming she gave her virginity to, which is not done in that time, is sticking by his wife. And I think that's really key um, too. And another thing that it depends entirely on the production, but how much they how much it's leaned into that Abigail really does love him this isn't I feel like sometimes it's she's this crazy bitch yep but when you when you read between the lines it's now and it is a little bit of young girl crazy Do you and remember this the dream of like I'm gonna I'm going to marry him and we're going to live together. Do you remember that movie from the 90s, The Crush, starring, I think it was Alicia Silverstone <gasps> yes. and Carrie Elwes? Carrie Elwes! I love you, Nick, and you love me! Yeah, exactly. And it is, cra- it is crazy. Like, I'm not going to negate the crazy. Don't ever give crazy a baby. Don't. But, <laughs> but I do think it's important that to recognize like that she really does clearly <laughs> yeah i mean okay a she gave she she slept with a married man who she believed loved her boom there's point the one late 1600s late 1600s <laughs> she's an orphan she's yeah. living in her uncle's house she has nobody who really loves her or takes care of her um so she, what that's what she's got to grab onto is that little bit of kindness she saw from john proctor so in her brain she's like "Ooh, if i take do this charm from tichuba if i drink this blood thing she gave me uh, that's gonna kill Elizabeth Proctor, who sucks anyway. The town's already nutty about witchcraft, so it's easy to lean into that. Mm-hmm. So she's got this whole plan, and then she switches from killing Elizabeth via the charm to accusing her of witchcraft mm-hmm. when that opportunity presents itself, which it does quite readily in that scene. Yes. Um, so Abby's and John's affair is kind of where the thread starts to unravel. But there's other things going on in this village. People are greedy. People don't trust their neighbors. Reverend Paris, the Ugh. religious head. What a fucking asshat. I, I'm 
no, we'll get to our characters we loved and characters we hate portion, but I would already like to state how much I hate Reverend Paris. Mm-hmm. Because <laughs> that man makes me crazy. And a- oh, that whole, yeah, that whole part where he's like, I came from Barbados and this and that, and I don't make nearly as much money here. And we're like, um, this is not the time to be talking about this, no, Reverend. He, oh, no, he's just a literal shitburger from Ugh. like square one. He sucks. Yeah. Um, anyway, so they're in the attic, and it's uh, finally Abby and all the girls start screaming. I saw Goody so and so with the devil. I saw Goody so and so with the devil, and it's like built to quite a famous climax of screaming, pitch of screams, screaming accusations, and then boom, that's the end of the first scene, and we go to the Proctor house. Yes, where we meet Elizabeth, who's and they're invisible children who we never see. And they got a bunch of boys, but they've got three boys. One's not baptized. <laughs> Um, oh yeah, that's a big deal. Yeah, but we, we don't we don't ever see the kids. No, <laughs> it's oh I just put the kids to bed or oh they just went outside or oh they just I love that he returns home from in like I feel like a dusk because she's like you've been gone long yeah and he's like I was in the back forty or whatever <laughs> but like it's dusk she's making dinner but the kids are in bed and I feel like it's a small little cabin like they don't have a gigantic mansion these proctors they're simple farmers Uh uh-huh well anyway what is the architectural structure of this house shit I don't know now I am very confused I bet Arthur Miller saw it when he went to Salem I bet he did he probably was like oh and then there's a cellar where they hide the children at night (laughs) there's just like a little loft in the kitchen where you're like oh you sleep right above the stove keeps you warm (laughs) on a straw mattress can't possibly go wrong now Okay. So, uh, anyway, Elizabeth's like, hey, buddy, um, made you the stew. Also, made me sad to kill this rabbit. Remember the time you cheated on me? Hey, that sucked. Yeah. And he's like, stop bringing it up. <laughs> she's like, well, I'm not bringing it up. What? I didn't. What? Just saying. I didn't say nothing. She's the right to be pissed. She has the right to be pissed. And it hasn't even been quite a year, and it doesn't seem like they've really talked about it. <laughs> no. No, she's just busy cooking rabbits, and he's avoiding the and, house and as Proctor's much as possible. And just doing that man thing where anytime she starts, so yeah, about that. I said stop talking about it. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah. Said we'll talk later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Avoiding the question. So then Mary Warren comes home, and she's like, oh, hey, um, I got to go be a church official. or Yeah, no, sorry, a court official. <laughs> um, I'm in the court now. Yeah, I'm an official of the court. And they're like, well, you work, you're our maid. And she's like, nope, bye. <laughs> so suddenly Mary Warren's got all this fucking power because she's testifying against all these people who are accused. And she brings Elizabeth a poppet, which is a little po- doll-like puppet. And another orphan, I assume. Mary Warren's parents aren't. Killed by Indians. Yep. No. Killed by Native Americans. My apologies. That's inappropriate to say. (laughs) And I'm not even joking, even though Lauren is laughing. (laughs) It's just because you got very serious. I think it's serious. I hate when I say the wrong thing. No, I think it's very sweet. There are so many fucking wrong things you can say these days that I'm just like, I just want to call people what they choose to be called. How we release an hour of content is beyond us. (laughs) We don't know how we manage to say enough correct words. I know in the to right record order. an hour. Anyway, anyway, so then we get. So to she the, made the poppet. She made the poppet, and then uh, uh, not Hale who comes over. Danforth. No, not Danforth yet, because we don't see. No, Hale does come over. Hale, yeah. But who gets? Who finds the poppet in the house? 
Um, that's when I think that's when they sent Cheever over. Oh yeah, Cheever, that little turd. That little he's like the little lackey shit stain. Shit stain who runs around and yeah. is just getting in everybody's business. Mm-hmm. So Mary Warren gives Elizabeth this poppet and was like, I was really bored in court, so I, I made you this poppet, Elizabeth. That's not crazy. <laughs> and then of course they're like, does, when Cheever comes oh, over, cool, thanks. He's like, does she keep any poppets? And Proctor's like, no. And you're like, oh, she's in trouble. So then they pull a poppet down, and oh my God, there's a needle in the belly. Right. Which, earlier that night, Abigail's like, oh, there's a needle in my belly. Yeah. If I'm not wrong, that crazy bitch stuck a needle in her own belly. Of course she did. Of course she did. And of course she gave or made or whatever a poppet to Mary Warren Mm -hmm. with a needle in it also. Of course this was all her plan. So then, yeah. So things are not going well for our dear friend Elizabeth Proctor. Um, And then we move to the courtroom. Where... That's the next really big bit of plot, right? Well, this is where... So Jess and I were talking before we started, and in her script, it doesn't have this scene. In the production I did and the script that I have, the top of Act 2 is a scene between Abigail and Proctor in the woods. Yeah, and the script I have didn't have it in there, and we didn't do it. And some Googling said that... Uh, the second Broadway production included this scene and that it was optional. Um, So anyway, the scene is... It's a really great scene. So after the scene in the house, after Elizabeth is arrested, uh, she's arrested in that scene, correct? Okay, good. Um, John and Abigail meet in the woods and he's basically like, can you stop it? And she's like, no, I love you. And my life's crazy and look at all this shit. So she's showing these wounds. She's telling mm-hmm. him like all of these terrible things are happening to her. And she is coming off as batshit insane in that scene. Whereas without that scene, she does she comes off as simply manipulative. Mm-hmm. And that's so interesting that it's an extra scene. Yeah, and I think it's really her just <laughs> laying all the cards on the tape. I mean, she is being so transparent about she wants him and is going to make that happen. And he's like, I don't love you. I don't want to be with you. And she's like, hey, it's okay. That's just your craziness talking. Yeah. When your wife is dead and we're together, you'll it, you'll like it. It's going to be great. It's yeah. really batshit insane. <laughs> yeah, it's really nuts. Um, so including or omitting that scene changes the entire Very much. And character. I didn't realize that that was something that's... And I mean, you did. You were in that. Mm-hmm. Pro- you played Abigail in that yep. production. And so, how do you feel about? I was really that disappointed that. that it wasn't in there. Yeah, I, I was like, so. what? And then the director was like, nope, we're just cutting it because this is the way I want it to be, or rather, not putting it in. Because she was like, we don't have permission to do it. I cannot argue about the rights because I don't know what the Miller State has and has not approved. Sure. Um, but it changed the interpretation of the character. And so I think as a result, my Abby was less crazy and more fucking mean. <laughs> Funny how that works. <laughs> I just like that I got to backhand a child played yeah. by an actual child. Yeah. Smacked her upside the head. Real smacking. <laughs> so there's that scene or there isn't that scene depending on what show you're in. And then, then we get to the courtroom. Yes. So We're, now it's all going to go down. Yeah, Proctor basically shows up and he's like, knock this shit off, you guys. Well, and he has gotten, at the end of Act One, mm-hmm. he has gotten Ma- Mary Warren to... Say, she could confess. Yes. Give a deposition that You're going to go liar. with me. You're going to say that you lied. You're, you made this all up. You were not possessed by the devil. And you're going to help me... Save my wife. Yeah. Let's go. 
Um, that plan does not go well. <laughs> not at all. Not at and all. And John is, he's even at the point where he has said, I think he's said to Elizabeth at this point, or no, maybe it's just in that extra scene with Abigail where he talks about how he will even say that he committed adultery if he has to. Mm-hmm. And he Which, does in that scene. That's a huge deal. Oh, that is a huge deal. And I, just to cut it down real quick too, this is one of the things I love about this play. If we're talking about the religion of this play, here's this town that's purporting to be so stringent about their Christian values mm-hmm. and reading their Bible and going to church. And they take attendance at church. And the commandments and this and that and the other thing. And look at all the shit they're doing to their own people, supposedly in the name of this. I mean, it's later on, but there's something so haunting to me about later with the imagery of when they talk about how the town has basically gone to hell now because everybody's in freaking jail mm-hmm. and the cows are wandering free and kids are starving because their moms their are all ducking locked Parents up. can't feed them. And it's like, you are all the ones turning your society to shit. Mm-hmm. over your supposed values by accusing people of not having the right, I mean, of being possessed by the devil. It's, but but still, you know what I'm saying? I think it's batshit that they're willing to let physical, tangible things fall apart. We are seeing children start. Uh-huh. You're seeing the cows walk down the street. You're seeing the town fall into ruin. This is empirical evidence. You are fucking seeing it. He's what, the third minister they've had in like, Six or seven, six years or something. Mm-hmm. Like, clearly, they're not doing things right no. here. <laughs> but so they basically take all these, this real stuff and let it fucking just get destroyed because of this imaginary stuff that they believe so hard in. Yeah. You're like, you believe in imaginary witches. They believe in this vengeful God with these strict fucking commandments. So all of that's invisible and not real. So they're willing to let the actual realness disintegrate because of these stupid beliefs and that's where i wonder if the other layer of it comes in of is this just a good excuse for some people to condemn some people that maybe they don't like mm-hmm. maybe they wish weren't in the town Funny. maybe they you know mm-hmm. Because now we can put it under this guise of, oh, she's a witch. She's practicing witchcraft. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, you there's like... Food for thought. Well, they throw these uh, these women under the bus, like Sarah Good, who's like the old... Be- an old poor Rebecca Nurse. Right. Well, the re- Rebecca Nurse is... So you start with Sarah Good, who's like a drunk old lady in a ditch. Right. And then and everyone's like, well, of course she's a witch. Of course she's a witch. Mm-hmm. And then it gets up to Rebecca Nurse, who is this upstanding as hell Pious. good woman. And... Clearly, Mrs. Putnam is accusing Ugh. her because she's jealous. And because she keeps losing her babies. Mm-hmm. And Rebecca Nurse was apparently around at one point. Mm-hmm. And so she's she's thinking, it's, oh, maybe I can, this is going to be a way of accusing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, they're, they're, it, it's so similar to you scapegoat the lowest person like now if you were scapegoating a homeless person right boom it's that and then you start to get more powerful and you move up the ladder and you're like who is on my level or who is slightly socially above me that I can destroy and Elizabeth even says that about herself she says I'm not some drunk like Sarah Good you know I people know me in this town and know who I am Abigail is clearly clearly doing this because Mm -hmm. (laughs) you had an affair and she 
still wants you. Mm-hmm. So this is her way of getting rid of me. Elizabeth sees things clearly from yes. square one. And I kind of read this past kind of through her eyes with that growing dread of, oh shit, we have to stop this. Like if John had confessed right then, if he had just been like, hey, here's the deal. I fucked Abby. I'm sorry. Punish me. But that's where this is coming mm-hmm. from. But then it began to get too little too late. Like on Game of and Thrones, when yep. he goes to Cersei and he's like, or when Ned Stark is like, Cersei, I know what you're doing. If Ned had just stepped up then, he would still have a head. Yeah. But he let it go too long and then he lost the power of the truth in yes. all of the bullshit. And the proctors lose the power of the truth because they act too late. They do. So the courtroom happens. And yeah, and, Dan, and that's when we meet Danforth, who I wrote down on my paper at one point is like the Javert of... Of. He's so unwavering, and he's just such a dick. Yeah. And he is. He's an he's asshole. A dick. And it's so funny. It's like I can read him in my mind now in a completely wrong context where he's just this, like, southern. <laughs> That's right. Judge. That's because you're thinking of Kilwaukee. Um, I think so. I think I'm getting my together. books mixed up. Um, but, yeah, Danforth, he is, he's something else. Yeah, and at this point, you can he see. just swoops into town and starts signing God. papers to hang people we left and right. Hang them, hang them, hang them. Well, and at this point, Hale's feeling a little bad because like Hale's sort of like the witch Aww. scholar who has all these books and is really in pursuit of witches. And as the play goes on, he starts to realize, I think he starts to realize it's bullshit. Like he tries to save Proctor at the end. He was like, dude, if you hang, I will have murdered you. So you need to lie and pull yourself out of this. I love that Arthur Miller wrote the juxtaposition of Paris and Hale. Mm-hmm. I like that we have two reverends mm-hmm. in this play who are living completely differently, but they're both influencing the situation. It's it's a really good choice to me. I love that character dynamic. Oh, yeah. We're seeing these two completely different men who are in the same prof- profession or, you know, who are both religious members of the community well and and I know um Hale is technically he's in what Beverly he's in another town and he's come into this town because he's what's the buzz with all the witches Um, (laughs) but I (laughs) so sorry there's no place for Andrew Lloyd Webber but it's (laughs) but it's not often you get to really study that so closely it's like a little I feel like it's a little study within a study in this play is their two characters don't you feel like if there's a preacher in a play or a book, there's one preacher? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 Yep. Um, so, good on you, Arthur Miller. That was a, that was a great choice. One thing, <laughs> I'm sure he needs my approval now. One thing they do um, in this is one of those, like, witchcraft things that always kind of gives me the chills is Re- Re- Rebecca Nurse. Uh, was either Rebecca or Giles Corey's wife? who somebody accused them of being a witch because they sold a guy a pig and the pig died. Mm-hmm. And some, and the, the, the pig selling woman, I think it was Rebecca Nurse, said if you haven't got the, the sense to keep a pig alive, they'll always die on you. Mm-hmm. Which is just sort of sound advice. Like if you don't feed a pig properly, it's going to keep dying. But that person was like, what's well, a curse? She said, and the, have you read Outlander by Diana Gabaldi? I haven't. A, it's really good. B, the series is good. C, the guy who plays Jamie Fraser is super hot. Um, and D, I like more all these hot. reasons. Later. Great. Um, 
But that happens in that. Claire, the protagonist of that show, is a nurse. And so she's like, if you don't clean that wound, it'll get infected and you'll die. Which is a warning, huh. but seen in that time period as a curse. Ah. And that's the thing that freaks Witch. me. Witch! Like a woman who speaks the truth mm-hmm. and knows things. Well, that's what happened to poor Giles Corey's wife. And oh, he breaks, breaks my heart. Is she the one who sold the pig? She's the one who was reading. And she was his third wife. And she all she... She's oh she's it, he just mentions it mm-hmm. in the first scene. He's to like hail. she's reading these books and is I that, don't I don't know what she's reading. Yeah, is there anything up with that? And then later and on, then later they condemn her. Yep, for witchcraft. They don't even ever specify what those books turned out to oh, be. Well, she was like reading a novel or it was something. Probably Poor something thing. really dumb. In it was like better homes and gardens. It was like the farmer's almanac, and now she's been hanged. <laughs> well. Because it was a woman reading. Mm-hmm. You can't be a woman reading five um, Jessica and I are being carted directly to jail right after recording this podcast. <laughs> so weird. I see torches and pitchforks outside. <laughs> That's so weird. I just made the mistake of eating a Sour Patch Kid. Oh, you I guys. did it out of habit. Please tell the tale of why we have Sour Patch Kids. I will. Kid. So we needed to get snacks. And Lauren was like, is there any poppet themed candy? And I was like, Sour Patch Kids. Uh, Sour Patch Kids are the closest to poppets. Although she also, I was like, what snacks should we get? And she's like, Crucible themed. And I was like, maize? <laughs> so it was either maize, it was either corn or high fructose corn syrup. <laughs> Both of those things. But yeah, um, oh, Sour so, Patch Poppets, Wave so of the Future. In, so the tr- in the trial. Courtroom. Um, John Proctor tells the truth. They bring Elizabeth in to tell oh, the truth. Devastating. And she lies. She says he didn't sleep. Was it he didn't sleep with her? Yeah, because yes. they, it's kind of his last last ditch effort. He's mm-hmm. trying very hard to um, kind of sully Abigail's name, and everyone is still believing her. Mm-hmm. I mean, at this point, he's presented Mary Warren and had her say that she was lying, and they still. But that's when Danforth is like, "Well, if you could pretend to faint before, just pretend to faint right now." Mm-hmm. And you're like, "Oh, no, shut up, get out of here, Danforth." Anyway. Um, and so that's, yeah, so it kind of his final effort, he Tells proclaims that he committed adultery. And, and then they, they bring her in, and yeah, they have Proctor and Abigail stand with their backs. Yeah, don't look at either of them. Don't look at either of them. And um, he, uh, the way that he writes that little bit, you can tell, you can read all of it. And she is clearly trying to not tarnish his name. Oh, and he is trying to send her every sort of signal to just tell the truth. And, and I, I did it. I told the truth. I told the truth. And she didn't know and just tried to protect his reputation. So uh, Proctor's arrested. Abby starts screaming about seeing a yellow bird and pretending it's Mary Warren's spirit. So all the children are shrieking about this invisible bird. Proctor's getting carted away. He's screaming threats like it's chaos. Mm-hmm. And then we go out of that to a cell. Mm-hmm. And um, Tichuba's in it. Oh God! And, we, and that's when you kind of go, "Oh yeah, we haven't seen." Oh what, yeah, we haven't seen what happened to her. <laughs> Tichuba. This things are not good with Tichuba. Yeah, she's in the cell with. Um, is it with Sarah? No, Sarah Good. Yeah, it is. Yep. And you find out Rebecca Nurse is in jail, and they're going. She's set to be hanged. Mm-hmm. Um, there's gonna be more hangings. Yeah, things and are not great. This is actually the day of. Uh, John Proctors. is set to be hanged. Mm-hmm. They've oh, it's revealed that Elizabeth is pregnant, so they are not going to kill her, which is very kind of them. Yeah, 
But how how polite? They'll they, wait until after they're the pro life. Born. They Jesus. won't hang. They won't hang the pregnant woman. So, um, but they'll <laughs> hang her husband. So it's the morning of John Proctor's execution, and Hale is feeling bad. He's like, dude, I I, I feel like I fucked. Hale you is over. a broken man now. H- Hale has been traveling, trying to f- make sense of this, and he's like, they're lying. This isn't true. I'm destroying these people, and the town is in such a frenzy that nobody will listen to him anymore. Um. And so he basically has Proctor come up. He's like, please, just lie. Just confess. They won't kill you, and then I won't have your life on my conscience. And Proctor's like, I'm John Proctor. I will not I will not say my name. I am John Proctor. I know, right? <laughs> You're like, don't. Okay. Wait a minute. <laughs> okay, Jean Valjean. Well, he said that a couple times. He's like, I, I will not give you their names. I, my name is na- they, The word name recurs in this. And that's not an accident from McCarthyism. Like, that's what they wanted. They wanted you to name names. Well, or even in the court, when mm-hmm. they had gotten this whole petition petition together of what, you know, 90 people in the community or whatever, um, and he said, you know, I have this petition saying that they'll speak on behalf of all of these people. And, and they said, you know, we want the petition. We want to see their names. And they're like, no, this is the only reason that we got them to give us their names in the first place was we said we wouldn't tell them and they get it out of them and sure enough all those people are carted rounded up yeah it's just such a scary mob mentality when you have the littlest glimmer of justice on your side then you can just fucking throw people in jail for the for no infraction and it's one of the it's one of the reasons i can't stand paris is in that scene in particular i mean he's just he's a weasel he's just calling people out left and right people are his neighbor people who are in his who go to his church Mm -hmm. and he's saying that he's a man of God and he's the only thing he wants is to save his own skin yeah and he wants gold candlesticks fucker he's an asshole anyway so we're in the jail cell we're in the jail cell (laughs) and John Proctor won't lie Uh, Giles Corey is long since is dead uh, crushed to death pressed pressed to death with rocks because Elizabeth um, Danforth they want to bring Elizabeth in they think maybe seeing her will get John to confess Mm -hmm. and so she's the one who breaks the news that he was pressed to death they just laid Mm -hmm. heavy stones on him until he died Um, and his last words were more weight that salty motherfucker stick it to the man Giles Corey Um, so okay wrapping up the summary Jesus Christ (laughs) ooh I swore Um, (laughs) this one is just us going through the entire play because why not so finally She's like, just go confess. John Proctor's like, no, I, the only thing I have left is my name. Or he does sign the confession. Yes. And they're and like, then, first he won't, first he won't sign. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, okay, fine, I'll sign. And then he won't give them the paper. Because they want to hang it on the, in the town square. Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, I don't want everybody to look at that and think I'm a liar. I have three boys at home that we haven't seen this mm-hmm. entire play. <laughs> you got to get to raising them at some point soon, I guess. <laughs> So yeah, so, so John Proctor finally is like, no, my name and my reputation are more important than saving my skin. And he is hung at the end of the play. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Elizabeth's last lines oh, God, are just so wonderful. Elizabeth says, um, he have his goodness now. God forbid I take it from him. So and she's I mean, so stoic through that whole final... I think she knows. She knows him. Mm-hmm. And she knows that... He, she knows he's his his only judge. Mm-hmm. She, yeah, the magistrate, what sits in your heart, judges mm-hmm. you. John, I don't. She says to him earlier mm-hmm. in the play. And uh, that if he couldn't be right with himself, he wouldn't 
want to be alive. Mm-hmm. And she she knows him. She knows that about him. And I think she knows going into the scene, he's not going to relent. I think she knows that he he will not tell that lie, that he can't live with that. Well, because I feel like that's really clear in her lack of reaction when he says, I'll say, I'll tell my name or I'll sign the paper. Mm-hmm. I feel like if she believed him, and I, 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 I don't know, I feel like there would be that moment of, oh, John, oh, good, you're going to do it. But she never, she never does that. She Mm-mm. is silent throughout the whole thing because I think she's waiting because she knows he really can't stick with it. And mm-hmm. he does ultimately doesn't. The women in this are Ugh. pretty stoic. Mm-hmm. Elizabeth, Rebecca, like these are... They're either fever pitch nuts or yeah. <laughs> statues. <laughs> well, and the play ends that Abby's broken into Paris's lockbox, stolen all his shit and run off. And I don't think that's talked about enough. It's it's in the play itself, it's barely mentioned. Yeah, it's Paris like, is like And he even just says, my niece ran off. He doesn't even say like, oh, where's Abigail? Like they don't even really talk mm-hmm. about where did... And it is a, it is one of those things where you kind of go, oh yeah, wait a minute, she skipped town and stole your shit. Yeah, which I actually I'm okay with that. I think he deserved that. Yeah, fuck you, Paris. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think I feel like the women in this are either salt of the earth, like pillars of the community, because they had to be in order to survive. Mm-hmm. The young women are the ones who are like flippity gibbets and kind of crazy. And the, I don't feel like they're long for this world. They're either going to grow up to be like Puritan hard asses, like their mothers, or they're going to die or run off to Barbados. We're not Quakers. We're not Quakers, John. I love Jeez. that. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> so we finally made it through the plot summary. Yeah. At only, and now the podcast is over. Yes. No, but this was written by Arthur Miller in 1953, and he'd had the successes before this. He, um, Death of a Salesman was before this. All My Sons was before this. A View from the Bridge, I believe. No, View from the Bridge was 1955. Oh, I'm okay. a liar. All My Sons, Death of a Salesman, and The Crucible. Um, Arthur Miller was an American playwright, essayist, and figure in 20th century American theater. He's a big deal. I feel like Death of a Salesman is arguably the most famous play title of a play, not a musical. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he's known for that. And he was known for being married to Marilyn Monroe. One of his plays dealt really heavily with her after the fall. You know what I love? Hmm. I read today she accompanied him to those hearings. She was there with him I love the that. whole time. I love. Mm-hmm. I, I don't love After the Fall as a play, but I kind of love their romance. Mm-hmm. She kind of she stuck with him. Me too. And, and that woman had her issues. I think Marilyn. I think it's one of those relationships that people look at very surface and like, oh, Arthur Arthur Miller, Marilyn Monroe, yeah, two mm-hmm. famous people in their time. But but really, I it was a pretty lengthy and. Um, intense marriage it seems like i also didn't know that um daniel day lewis is his son-in-law what what he's married to rebecca miller no way and daniel day lewis played proctor in um on broadway on broadway right or no 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 in the movie version i thought oh yes sorry the winona writer the most recent broadway was uh, Liam Neeson. Yeah, in and then the movie. Liam Neeson's? Liam Neeson's. Um, yeah, he was the one in 2002. That is so nuts. But yeah, I didn't know. He's married to Rebecca Miller. He I did that documentary. Which I did the documentary, yet. which I haven't watched. 
Arthur Miller, a writer. Yeah, they've been married for a really long time. And he played, yeah, that movie was in 1996. So. Oh, with Winona Ryder. Oh, I was... I was saying I don't really need to see an emo Abigail. No, even if she was good, which I... I, I I've did, never seen I've it. I've never seen it. I don't want to. No. Even if she was good, I can't get her out from Beetlejuice out of my head. I would have liked to see Liam Neeson and Laura Linney together. I bet that would have been a good match. Although... We saw them in Love Actually. Uh, I mean, not together, <laughs> ever in the same scene. <laughs> um, I got really fascinated with the most recent Broadway revival, though. Dude, let's touch into that and then go into some more pop culture bits. Yeah. Because that looks amazing with Ben Wishaw and Sarsha Ronan. Oh, she played Abigail, and um, it's Ivo Von Hova is the director. Mm-hmm. And he directed um, A View from the Bridge right before this in, this, in a similar style. Um, but if you can, it looks incredible. And I, I love a lot about it. I love that they. Um, they stripped away the periodness of it. And to me, that's one of the things that made it so intriguing. And I kind of, we kind of talked a little bit about it earlier, how this, this is a metaphor that can mm-hmm. endure for years and years. Um, and I was reading the New York Times review, because I'm a dork about New York Times reviews and Ben Brantley. And he said something in it that kind of, highlighted my point in a much more articulate way. He said that he, um, the director, divests a historical work of period associations, the better to see its inhabitants as timelessly tragic and as close to you and me as the people in the seats next to us, or, if we're honest, as our fallible selves. And he also said, the sane rarely flourish in a world gone mad. The sane rarely flourish in a world gone mad. Yeah. Ben Brantley wrote that in his review, and he was talking about Proctor primarily, and and that's such a key bit of this play. Mm-hmm. Being a voice of reason in this play does not end well. <laughs> doesn't end well, and doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that's so infuriating about it. And I know to me is one of the things that's the most infuriating things to me in life is when I'm in a situation where you're seeing somebody try to tell the truth or try to do what's right, and you're seeing a bunch of other people who are lying about it, and they're the ones who are being believed. Oh, yeah. I don't know where you would see something like that in 2018. That's really oh, gee. weird, Lauren. Shocking. Um, and so it just, re-highlighting that injustice to me is a big, big part of this play. And so I thought he touched on that really well, and it made me, I wish I had seen that version of it, I, but it, it looked incredible. Well, two things about that version. First of all, Taking it out of the period and just putting it in sort of modern dress in a classroom, you know, it, it's a little deconstructy, mm-hmm. but I don't mind it because you still get the gist of the period. I don't think we need to be in fucking pilgrim dresses. But also, the actress who played Elizabeth Proctor, Sophie mm-hmm. Okonedo, um, is black. Yep. And taking it out of the period, I think, really allows us to just cast the fucking show. Mm-hmm. And too many plays are written in these Caucasian prevalent times. And I think if you can break them open and not make that time period so constrictive, if you can break it open, you just give more opportunities for every actor to to have a chance at those roles. And I love even, too, um, what did you say his name is again? Ben? Ben Wishaw. He's, you look at him and you don't think, 
I feel like every, I feel like every proctor I've seen is always kind of a handsome, stoic, you know, man. farmer strapping man. This guy's pretty. He's pretty slight. Um, has that beard? He looks like has ben that kind Bonifant. of he's a little <laughs> bit? He kind of looks like. Is that Ben? Um, ben put, not a, ben. put a red cap on him. And <laughs> it's our friend Ben. But I was listening. I was watching an interview, and I was the director was talking about how that was actually important to him because it made him more of an everyman in his eyes. And John Proctor is such a, and that made a lot of sense to me. Cool. That's really yeah. cool. So, so yeah, so these were some other versions. Mm-hmm. I wait, mean, most books we read, it's like, was there a play? Well, this was just a play. So, well, wait, so one more thing about that production Oh, is yeah. I've heard from friends who have seen it. I think Kate Gleason saw it Ooh. and she said the most important, coolest part so the second half comes in and the stage is kind of wrecked and like leaves are blown at the top of the second act and a fucking wolf walks across there the stage there is there's a real wolf in this play there's a wolf ah oh. can we find a way to put a wolf in every play from now on yes we need live animals in every play preferably a wolf what did the wolf do? it just walked it just walked it just walked stage, across the stage it? and I think it stopped and it looked at the audience and then kept going <sighs> did I tell you when I saw Newsies in uh in Utah, they had a live horse walk across the stage. You saw newsies and horsies in the same thing. I saw newsies How and are horsies. you still here to tell me about I it? Don't even your know. brain should have exploded. It was really exciting. So that's amazing. Um, so yeah, that was the most recent production, which had like all of the rave reviews. Yes, um, Kate Gleason, please think, feel free to send us more information. Thank you. We'd love to hear about it. We'd appreciate it. Thanks for the review, by the way, Kate. Yay, Kate. <laughs> um, so we have the Winona Ryder movie, which neither of us saw. No. Um, I guess there's a good radio drama version of it. Yes, we. It was pointed out to us. There's a radio drama. I think radio drama is just kind of funny in general. <laughs> like, I want to know what different sound effects they would use for the Crucible. <laughs> stab, 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 stab. I don't even know. I don't either, because there's not a whole lot. Of, there's not good foley in, no. in the Crucible. I guess at the end do they have like a neck snapping sound <laughs> that's horrifying there's just a lot of screaming <laughs> remember that episode of community that had the dean's playlist playing at that party the halloween yes i feel like that um every time i think of radio drama it, abba it was something? abba and then his shopping list <laughs> if you go through the itunes on my phone i have such little music so there's like a couple of albums and then all these random sound effects from when I used to direct like teen plays because awesome. I did all the sound. So did, there's like Did you ever direct snapping. a teen version of Crucible? Not yet, but I'm gonna. Good. Well, now I have a job. But I think everybody has done the fucking Crucible. I, yeah. You did the Crucible. I did the Crucible. I did it in college. Yeah. It's kind of a rite of passage. Like you should either have been in the Crucible, done it in a scene. I have watched... So many scenes from this in scene study classes that I want to die. Well, and I was going to say, the unfortunate thing is, I bet a lot of people have been exposed to really bad, bad productions of The Crucible, which is unfortunate because I really do love this play. This reread was really illuminating and me a little too. frightening. Same for me, and especially with, I think I've just had Arthur Miller on the brain, um, especially with seeing your show, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, it, it really is... There's, he's called the great a great American playwright for a reason. He's mm-hmm. the way that this play is written is pretty incredible. I would love a chance to do it again. Well, who's your who's your favorite American playwright? Like of these of the greats, like Miller, Williams, O'Neill. Um, anybody? I. 
used to lean more towards Williams, but I've I actually I think I'm finding myself growing more in a Miller direction as I get older. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm understanding his plays better as an adult, if that makes sense. I think I'm ca- I'm think I'm catching more of the weight of them. I think being being an adult mm-hmm. <laughs> automatically adds a layer to some of his plays um, that you things themes in them that you can't really understand when mm-hmm. you're younger as much. Um, but yeah, I, I think when I was, or like when you're in college, there's something really intriguing about playing like the women in a Williams play because they're just such characters. They're and, all, I um, think Williams is a bit heightened and But exactly. And the, the older I get, I'm like, I'm loving more the realism mm-hmm. of Arthur Miller. Was yeah. That, like do you that, feel similar? That's, yeah, like that steamy New Orleans sort yeah. of sultry atmosphere is t- is intoxicating when you're like a young performer and you're like oh yeah I want to be Maggie exactly throw myself around petulantly and you're like, yeah oh but Arthur Miller's better I think he's slicker he's he, he just really kind of and some of the intricacy of his dialogue mm-hmm. is it it really if you haven't read I would say that if you haven't read this play in a while pick it up read it again go back and check it out I think my favorite part well Actually, one of my favorite scenes is that moment that we talked about that is cut in some productions, apparently. The yeah, Abigail yeah. Proctor scene. But I do... That part in the courtroom that it builds up to of Elizabeth coming in and and that we talked about already. Her lying while he just told the truth. That The build to that and then that moment is just so heartbreaking and really I feel like one of the just the climax of that it's like watching a movie where somebody's trying to catch somebody's hand and it mm-hmm. slips away like it is that on stage and then it just explodes mm-hmm. into all the screaming and about the fucking bird a cacophony night <laughs> yellow bird nightmare yellow bird nightmare nightmare of birds but I just think that that part is so perfectly written mm-hmm. well how about you I think it's the same I think I think it builds beautifully because you're hoping you are hoping that it's going to work out for them you're like come on Elizabeth come on nobody's fuck and it couldn't have gone any other way because of who they are like she is supporting the hell out of him that's her primary objective in life and he finally cracks and she doesn't think he'd do it Mm -hmm. because reputation but so Elizabeth is like a stoic good character but who's your favorite character I really do love Giles Corey I yeah. I I love how feisty he is. I love that he fights so hard mm-hmm. to his very last moment. I love that he he didn't let his pride down. Mm-hmm. I mean, he he stays true to he stays true to himself throughout this entire play. One thing I love about Giles is you brought up earlier that it's people trying to fuck their neighbors over to steal their land. Mm-hmm. So this is happening to Giles. The, yes, the Putnams. Ugh accuse him and his wife of witchcraft so they can get their fucking land mm-hmm. because if they're if they're if they, they're executed as witches or non-christians their lands forfeit so giles Corey, that salty old bastard doesn't confess to save his life because he knows his land will be forfeit he fucking dies crushed by rocks so that putnam can't have his <laughs> land putnam's can't take his land spiteful to the end you go giles more Corey. weight hashtag more, more weight, weight giles Corey. <laughs> Tag more yes, weight. but I, I I do I love him mm-hmm. I think he's a beautiful character. Um, I and I like you said I played Abby and I really liked that it was oh yeah fun I bet but 
I this this reading gave me a new appreciation of Hale. Cause like I think Hale legitimately thinks there are witches. You know what's interesting when we did it in college, Andy Kelso played Reverend Hale. Andy Kelso of Kinky Boots on Broadway. Yes. Yeah, on Broadway. Oh, on Broadway. But I know you know him, and uh, and he was great. But yeah, no, he he's a good character mm-hmm. because he he's legitimately trying to do what's best, and then he sees it start to erode, and you're like, you are watching somebody whose life philosophy is getting dissolved before your eyes. I like, wish I could find, and I'm gonna try to flip through it real quick. The final I. Arthur Miller's very good at um, his character descriptions, too. I yeah. feel like certain things he says are just... But his final description of Hale, like oh. the last scene that he comes in... Well, if you've only seen Miller plays and you've never read them, I would oh. highly suggest picking them up for the stage directions because the shit he has in there is so great. And so this is his final entrance, his last scene in the play. Hale enters. They look at him for an instant in silence. He is steeped in sorrow, exhausted, and more direct than he ever was. What a gift to be given mm-hmm. as an actor. But I love that. Yeah, and he doesn't just say, you know, angrily. He gives no. you this beautiful poetic thing that you can interpret as you will. And still more direct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that because that implies, even though he's exhausted, a focus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. Hales, he's a good one. I want to slap the shit out of Mary Warren. Oh, that whiny little brat. She, I, okay, I, I think she's stupid. I mean, I think Mary Warren actually has a low IQ. She might be a little, she's a little dysfunctional. Dumb. A little yeah. dumb Because... And she, she's just so highly influenced. I mean, they all are. She's a tough one to play without just being a whiny baby the entire mm-hmm. play. She gets played by everybody. She has no spine. Abby tells her to do something she does something she does it. The fucking proctors tell her to do something she does it. And then when she gets a little bit of authority, she tries to be have a little bit of a backbone and then it falls away. She's like, "Okay, I'll sign the thing." Yeah. Like Mary Warren so much of this is blame is on her shoulders. Absolutely. I mean, Abby's evil. Uh Paris is only trying to save his own neck, that little mm-hmm. worm. But Mary Warren is so fucking wishy-washy. You hate Paris, don't you? I do. Ooh. I hate him very much. He, speaking of wishy-washy, um, yeah, and I just, he's so false pious. Like, he's, he's talking the talk, but not walking the walk. No, he's terrible. And... And just when he talks about his past and how he's come here and he's making it sound like, I'm like, you're a preacher, dude. You don't need fancy Like, why is he, why are you talking about all these riches you've lost? I mean, come on. He doesn't care that his daughter's sick. He cares that his daughter was misbehaving in the woods and that might look bad on him. Mm -hmm. Like, he doesn't care about her health. He cares about his reputation. Mm -hmm. Like, he makes all of these tiny little chess moves in that first scene to save his own fucking neck. Yeah. He's such an asshat. Yeah, he's the worst. He's just a worm the whole time. And I don't like the Putnams either. Oh, no, the Putnams are assholes. I just think they suck. Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel bad for her that she lost all those babies. I get it. I'm sorry. But that doesn't mean you have to be an asshole. Do you know, historically... Uh, they were survived by 10 of their 12 children. The Putnam family, the real Putnams, did not have all those baby deaths. Um, and also too many babies. Too many babies. That's Ugh. a lot of babies. Ugh. 
the Crucible in pop culture, um, we talked a little bit about the radio drama. There's an <laughs> opera by Robert Ward in 1961, which fascinates me. Mm-hmm. I just feel like the yellow bird number is going to hit <laughs> glass-shattering high notes. <laughs> Nothing but glass-shattering high notes. shrieking for uh-huh. five solid minutes. But there was, before... Um, before Arthur Miller wrote this in 1953, there was a play called The Devil in Boston that was written in 1947. Oh. Um, and I thought this was really interesting because I'd like to, to get my hands on it, actually. Uh, Wikipedia had a little blurb about it that said, During the McCarthy era, German-Jewish novelist and playwright Leon Fechtwanger... <laughs> Shit. Sorry, sorry, Leon. Uh, sorry, Leon Fechtwanger <laughs> became the target of suspicion as a left-wing intellectual during his exile in the U.S. In 1947, Fechtwanger wrote a play about the Salem witch trials, Von Oder der Teufel in Boston. Perfect. Delusion, or the devil in Boston, oh. as an allegory for the persecution of communists, thus anticipating the theme of the crucible. Um, it premiered in Germany in 1949, and it was translated by June Burroughs, June Barrows Mussey, and performed in Los Angeles in 1953 under the title "The Devil in Boston." So, in 1953, Crucible hits, and then this precursor to Crucible is translated into English and is also being performed. Mm. So, um, the country is going crazy for witches as an allegory. Yeah, but we don't go crazy for witches unless it's in The Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> because we've been waiting for this moment. Oh, God, I feel like that's why we picked this play to do. <laughs> we knew it would have a good Simpsons reference. Oh, God. Um, Easy Bake Coven. Oh, season we, nine. We would love to play just the whole three-minute clip for you. But, but you can go watch it on your own. Yes, find it on. you can find it on YouTube. But we'll just play this little tiny segment. Yeah, okay. Let us throw open the floor to uh, wild accusations. Woohoo! I accuse Goody Flanders! <gasps> I accuse Goody Badwife. Uh, we killed her on Sunday. Well, there must be someone here we can accuse. Okay. <laughs> I also do love the idea of Goody Badwife. Goody Badwife. Stop! Doesn't the Bible say, judge not lest ye be judged? <laughs> the Bible says a lot of things. Shover! Shover, boys. <laughs> Bible says a lot of things. Oh, God. Um, I, I do have to say... <laughs> too. It, it, it kind of reminds me of uh, a Simpsons thing a little bit, too. Proctor has this line. Oh, wait, where I wrote it down. <laughs> Mary Warren's talking about how she's an official of the court, and Proctor says, I'll official you. <laughs> and I'm sorry, but I can't read that line in my head without laughing. I'll what official I- you. It sounds like I'll mace you good. <laughs> Um, the one that and I up. also make myself laugh because I imagined a scenario where this was a sitcom instead and it was Paris, how does a single dad slash uncle raise two girls <laughs> in Salem, Massachusetts? Um, this is what happens when I let my mind wander. I think that sounds delightful. Played by Bob Saget. <laughs> <laughs> Too many witches. Well, the line that I really liked is Elizabeth says to John, what are we, Quakers? (laughs) (laughs) Jessica texted that to me earlier with just like a bunch of the laugh face emojis and I knew exactly what she was talking about. I like that that's like almost an insult. Oh, we may be Puritans, but we are not Quakers. Quakers. Uh, uh, Those Quakers. uh, And I think it's because John wanted to speak what was in his heart. (laughs) 
I just want to speak what's in my heart. And she's like, ugh, we are not Quakers. You knock that shit off. We judge. We don't speak honestly. <laughs> Who do you think we are? Oh, I had a, um interesting disquestion <laughs> for you. Yes. So is there anything in, is there a scenario where it would be worth it for you to name names? Like, would you ever, could you ever go so far to accuse people and put people's names out there? And what would that thing be? I, I wish, I, I, I want to say no. I really want to say no. Um, because I think that I, I tend to pick really stupid sides of battles and then get really stubborn and be like, no, I'm not naming names. I'm not naming names. Uh, I feel like I would probably cave if I were tortured. I'd probably name names if I were waterboarded, which would not be fun at all. Or I don't think I would name names to save myself, but I think I would do that to save a loved one. Like if they were threatening Elizabeth's child or John's children, don't you feel like yes. maybe John would have caved? I agree. I'm I'm the same, I think, for all of those circumstances. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine a scenario, though, where I would just start wrongfully, I mean, and I know you wouldn't either, but where we'd start wrongfully shouting out names of people. Um, I did tell a friend that would be a good way to get out of jury duty recently. Like, Ooh. if you have jury duty, just start seeing birds and freaking out. <laughs> uh, my disquestion for us is, so a poppet is a doll-shaped puppet. Which Muppet do you think is the most evil? <laughs> I was not expecting that. I'm like, hey, I think there's something up with Janice. <laughs> like, I, I like her, and I think she, like, plays into the, like, the hippie, like, cool musician thing so that she can kind of divert attention but i think she's done some shit like heroin <laughs> like heroin and, and probably murder like there's there's an ex of hers that's no longer alive no he is in the trunk of her car <laughs> which is now in a landfill uh, i think the creepiest muppet is gonzo <laughs> that nose is nose is inappropriate it's inappropriate and what does he do with all those chickens <laughs> Just saying. I can't. I can't. He's up to no good. Any Muppet that has that many chickens? Mm-mm. Witch. Something's amiss. If you Witch. Own, if you own too many chickens? Witch. witch. I saw Goody Grover with the devil. I saw Goody Fozzie with the devil. I saw Goody Animal with the devil. I saw Goody Piggy with the devil. Now we're just naming Muppet names and it's all gone to shit. I saw a goody Swedish chef with the devil. I'm the devil. And I think that when we've started shouting Muppet names, when we started accusing Muppets of being witches, I think the podcast is over. We've officially wrapped it up. Oh, shit. Hey, what should people read next time if they want to read things? Oh, Damn. Take two. Boop. Hey, speaking of things, what book should people read for next episode? Well, speaking of piggies, there's some pig. That's some pig. That's right. We're going 
children's classic all the way, oh, Charlotte's right. Web. You're going to be real sad, though. By E.B. White. Yeah. If it if this book didn't make you cry at some point, you are not a human. You are not a human being, because mm-hmm. this is really real sad. I know, but we, but we thought it'd be fun to talk about one that you maybe read when you were a little bit younger. Ah, oh, it's delightful. So yeah, uh, crack open your copies of Charlotte's Web. I'm going to rewatch that animated version. Where- I love it. Oh, it's so good. I haven't watched that in forever. No. So I mean, why would I? <laughs> what do we do on the weekends, Laura? I know I sit around watching the animated version of Charlotte's Web. <laughs> and after that, <laughs> and I guess all dogs go to heaven. <laughs> and I accuse Muppets of being witches. <laughs> And that's my weekend. Eat a bowl full of fucking Sour Patch Poppets and go to bed. (laughs) All dogs go to heaven's depressing. It is. Don't even talk about Fievel going west. People used to call me Fievel when I was a kid. (laughs) Oh, no. It's my face and my ears. I need more sugar. Oh, I do. But but yeah, please. um, Oh, wait. We didn't didn't answer. Why did we read this? Oh, damn. Why the fuck did we read this book? (laughs) Well, I, I really, I'm... I do think that it's a metaphor that will last for the ages. Um, I think it puts, and I think it puts that topic in a conversation that makes it relatable to understand. I think we can have, I think in this format and in this play, we can try to examine some of those themes. Mm-hmm. Well, it fires on so many cylinders. It a, a you, it touches in with McCarthyism. It touches in with the Salem witch trials. It also touches into basic teenage emotion of yes. a girl, of, of a girl who's been hurt, had her feelings hurt. Like if you were reading this in high school, you know, somebody like Abby, you know, somebody like Mary Warren, like those are accessible characters. So by giving teenagers the crucible rather than like death of a salesman or fucking all my sons, They're which are about relate. right, they can at least relate a little more. And I think um, bringing it back to what we were talking about earlier, it is still an American story, mm-hmm. and I think I think it's important to have this context <laughs> being discussed. I think it's um, this happened in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. This happened in Los Angeles. Where else is it going to happen? It happen again, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. That's why the fuck we read this. That's why the fuck we read this. Uh, Well, I think all we have to do now is uh, stay gold, Salem, Massachusetts. (laughs) Stay gold, Giles Corey. Stay gold, Abigail Williams, you little bitch. (laughs) Stay gold, yellow bird that's actually Mary Warren. Stay gold, three Proctor children that we never see. (laughs) Stay gold, cows wandering about. Stay gold, pig in a ditch. (laughs) Stay gold, Jessica. Stay gold, Lauren. Thank you for listening to Required Readcast. If you enjoyed the show, head over to iTunes, subscribe, and leave us a rating and or review. We're also available on Stitcher, Google Play, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at REQ Readcast. Required Readcast is produced by Sexpot Comedy. Theme music and lyrics by Max McEwen and Noah Evan Wilson. Vocals by Aaron C. Willis. Stay, Stay gold, gold, bookworms! This has been a Sex Pot Comedy Joint. Collaborative, community-driven comedy produced by Andy Jewett and Kayvon Kalitvari. Headquartered in Denver, Colorado, with technical support from Isaac Miller. Every day at sexpotcomedy.com or at a show near you. Until next time, be well, friends. Listeners need to know that my dog, Dexter, is just sitting under the table, and he's been, like, farting for the last hour. I think Dexter...
Dexter got into the Sour Patch Poppets. I think Dexter's a witch. 